0: And you know what, Andrew? What? Oh my God. He's not even fucking paying attention. We're like trying to record an intro and he's texting someone and not listening. I am not. <laughs> not such texting. A someone. It's just
1: not, <laughs> you know I can't lie to you. I can't lie to you. Okay, I was texting. I'm sorry. I had to deal with this thing. It's uh, not important. What were you saying?
2: <laughs>
1: I hate you. I'm the fucking worst. What do you want? I'm your shit clown.
0: It's true. I actually totally forgot what I was saying. Do you remember, Emily?
1: Fuck. Now I'm in trouble. Fuck. The train of thought's gone. See, this is what I bring to this podcast.
0: Um,
2: Summit. Summit had a nice uh, rooftop, and then you were like, immediately, I needed to get her on the podcast. And you know what, Andrew? And then he said, what? Really late. Like,
0: oh no. I got. We got her on the podcast. You were gonna. God, please, were...
1: please put this in the episode. Please let this go. Please let this. will be a cold. Be open. at least a part of it. Um. This will be the cold open.
0: Oh, I know, I know, I got it, I got it, I got it.
1: Welcome to Take Me to Coffee.
0: Guys, this is a mentorship podcast for the digital age. It's for the doers, the builders, and people who just like cool shit.
1: The best part of a coffee date is getting personal with someone who's been down that road before you.
0: So this is your weekly chance to pick the brains of some super smart people.
1: Soak up a whole lot of inspiration from every corner of the internet.
0: My favorite thing about how I wrote that, by the way, is that like the doers and the builders are not the people who just like cool shit, which is not exactly what I meant, but that's how it reads.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. That's exactly. How that's it
0: literally reads. what someone said to me, though. They were like, "Oh my god, I love yeah. your podcast. It's so great because it's like just it's for people who like cool shit." And I was like, "Ding ding right. ding! Oh, good, great, putting that in." Yeah,
1: I want to ask you a real serious question here. I will have a very serious answer for you. Um, So when you're on your phone and you get those weekly updates to like kind of calculate your screen time and what you're using using it on and things like that, Uh I looked at my phone the other day and it said weekly update and I was like, oh shit, man, let me just see what this is. Is my screen time down? Yeah, my screen time's down to like maybe four hours or something because I don't look at my phone a bunch, right? Yeah. Except it says how much time have you been doing what? Right? So there's like a little tab bar that has a time for games, social, and productivity. Mm-hmm. So I looked at my phone the other day. It said 3.5 hours was spent. So I look at the f- the first bar and it says gaming, one hour, 22 minutes of playing whatever, Candy Crush or Golf Clash, which I'm absolutely obsessed with. The next one was social, an hour and 20 minutes, almost three hours, right? And then the next one was productivity and I felt so bad. <laughs> I felt so bad because it said 19 minutes. Aww. This is one, 1 week of screen time and I've only done 19 minutes of something productive. Fuck you Apple. Fuck you for telling me that I've only done 19 minutes of something productive in what you deem productive.
0: My my bar's so low for you. I'm pretty impressed at the 19 <laughs> minutes. Woo! Woo, 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 woo.
1: See what I'm saying, folks? Like, if you listen to this podcast, you understand what true capitalism is. Get somebody else smarter than you, better than you, and then you create something (laughs) successful. And you just kind of hang on the coattails and you're like, hey, listen, I'm a co-host, man. I fucking have the same visual clout out there in the world. I'm like, hey, man, I'm co-hosting something. I don't really do shit here, but get on this thing and like, you know, extrapolate information and talk about crazy things and say big words that I don't really know the meaning to. (laughs)
0: In the film version of this in my head just now, like it was a hard cut from that to next week's intro and you're gone and it's just me. And I'm like, well, I really realized something last week when Andrew pointed out that little fact.
1: (laughs) I can't believe you keep asking me back. I've been waiting (laughs) to just be kind of like slowly phased out. Like we have these boxes, if you're watching on Patreon Coffee Club, like we have these boxes that our faces are in because we we video this and I'm just waiting for the screen to slowly, my screen keeps getting smaller and smaller (laughs) and smaller smaller until I'm (laughs) this. Like a little tomato goes <laughs> on the screen and you're like, well, he's not actually dead. We've just phased him out completely because we realized we don't need him.
0: Oh, this is a great time to talk about one of my very favorite terms ever because I think it applies to you and why you're so needed on this podcast. It's really serious. It's It's because you're the shit
1: clown i knew that you were gonna try to get that on this fucking podcast again like <laughs> did i already talk about it i think we've talked about this a few times actually
0: oh god our producer just left she just left yeah she's like i'm <laughs>
1: fucking gone because we've talked about shit clown before and, and every time i say shit clown she cuts out <laughs> i think that she's like I, if you guys realize how many times you've said shit clown on this thing i've had to edit it out like forty thousand times yep there it is now
0: she's just sound affecting but she's still gone the
1: shit clown dinger the shit clown dinger <laughs>
0: So shout out to my good friend, Mark Roberts, who is a Blue Man, who
1: we also should have on the podcast. Sorry. Let's qualify that. So Blue Man is a show.
0: Blue Man Group. He's the youngest. I forget. I'm going to say it wrong. But anyway, he's the youngest, like, captain or whatever their highest level Blue Man is because he's been there for so long. Anyway, so shout out to Mark Roberts, my friend, who is a Blue Man and Blue Man Group in Vegas for teaching me the term shit clown. Where's the sound effect?
1: she's and also she's a comedian her timing is fucking perfect
0: so he gave me words for like what i often am on stage which is the person that everyone shits on basically right my brand of funny in relation to other people on stage often is like set up everybody else to shit on me
1: i mean some might call that the foil right no no we we're working
0: in tandem to make me look stupid mm. like that's the, yeah. the the shit clown so anyway
1: there it is that's a shit clown oh.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm so happy that I'm not the shit clown on this uh podcast. It's really, it's a nice break.
1: <laughs> you are. uh So we will just call it the SC from now on. Sure. That's good. Yeah. So you're the SC. Well, no, I'm the SC no. on this podcast. Yeah. You're just and in you... life. You're just the SC.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well,
1: listen, I think we both are in some forms. Aren't we all our own SCs?
0: So you just have to stay SC or I fire
1: you. Yeah, okay. I'll, t- I'll keep taking all the shit, and I'll keep being <laughs> a clown. I didn't say it together, so you can't ding me.
0: Hey, I'm also really proud of you for not making any jokes during that length of time about getting shit on.
1: You mean like actual fecal play? Is that what you're saying? Like something yeah, sexual? Yeah, like, like a chili dog or something. Or the old s- Cleveland steamer?
0: Did you know that chili dog is the first thing I ever learned in college? What a chili dog you're was? You're
1: really ruining every fucking thing <laughs> about Sonic <laughs> for me right now. <laughs> I love a foot long chili cheese coney, but now I'm imagining that foot long chili cheese coney.
0: As a chili dog? Anywhere
1: near your body in a sexual form.
0: Okay, let me be very clear that I have never engaged in sexual practices that involve what is known as a chili dog. But let me tell you something. I was 18. I showed up to like the opening party the Friday night before we went to college. I didn't drink. I don't think I had had sex at that point. Like I was really, I was a very different person.
1: We back are then. getting so into this. Keep going.
0: And then this guy, this like older guy, <laughs> this sounds so salacious, ends up standing next to me outside and just out of nowhere is like, you know what a chili dog is?
1: Completely <laughs> like, unprofit? No. Like,
0: oh, 100%. Yeah. No, I didn't ask for that. Hashtag me too. Uh,
1: oh, no. This is the best cold open one we've done.
0: <laughs> Emily disagrees by the look on her
1: face. Yeah. I think Emily doesn't really care for chili dogs. Chili dogs?
0: dogs?
1: <laughs> Do we have a sound effect for that? <laughs>
0: yeah. Ew. oh. Chili dogs!
1: (laughs) Jesus, I feel like we've really gone off the rails now. Um, Shit
0: clowns and chili dogs today, folks. Shit clowns and chili dogs. That's two. (laughs) Yes! And the lesson of this is never give Andrew the sound effect button, ever. No,
1: don't ever do that, because God knows we're going to have, like, (laughs) all over this podcast, and it's going to turn into some shitty radio show, and then we're going to be like... God, let's actually get to work today, please. God. <laughs> so I was actually unavailable for this. Uh, there was a bit of a tragedy in my life, and we had a funeral for a friend of mine. Uh, his little girl had passed for dealing with a long you know, series of health issues and things. And so, by the
0: way, pause. This is not fair. We just went from shit clowns and chili dogs to like friends and death and funerals. <laughs>
1: <Think> I be- <laughs> that like that is this podcast.
0: That's true. It's true. You know true. what I mean? Like, we, yes. we run
1: the gamut. Like, how do you segue into that? And you're like, well, let's bring it down a little bit. I
0: know. Let's talk about oh, something man. really
1: dead serious. And I'm not trying to be flipping about this. It was a beautiful thing, man. And this little girl had dealt with some health issues for quite some time. And, like I was telling you the other day, like, I hate to lose mm-hmm. a little one. And just because, you know, they have so much in front of them. And they, but this little girl was kind of an undiagnosed health issue. And every doctor in the world couldn't really tell what was going on with her. So, you know the she left the planet she left the plane of existence and uh everybody's a little lighter for it you know she she spread so much joy and so much love and now She's in a better place, I hope. I know. I, I actually know that. I, I know she's in a better place. Whatever your beliefs are, living in a human form and being in pain constantly, there's no quality yeah. of life there. I wish the best of my friend and their family. You know, it's just, it was a tough time. And now- uh, So you m-
0: weren't able to be on this episode and host with me because you you emceed, kind of, the, or like hosted the service?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually, uh, I was asked uh, honorably, I mean, I'm so humbled by this whole experience, um, to be asked by one of my best friends to host his daughter's uh, funeral celebration. <sighs> (sighs) And it was heartbreaking and beautiful and inspiring because there were so many wonderful people there that she had connected and it just ended up being such a beautiful day. It was extremely cathartic for them and a lot of tears, a lot of laughs. Uh, it was a really beautiful experience. It was really beautiful. But uh, I'm glad you held down the fort here for me.
0: Totally. And actually, as a just a quick before we move on, the wife of Andrew's friend has a really amazing blog about their journey and about epilepsy, which was the disease they were dealing with, but Mm -hmm. a very, very like orphan form of it that was unusual. And if you're interested at all, it's a really beautiful blog and they are so generous and honest and vulnerable in it. It's definitely worth a read. So check the show notes um, and I'll pop the link down there.
1: Yeah, check that out. And then uh, maybe we can also throw in the, uh, you know, if people want to donate or anything like that to this, uh, we can throw in the link to that as well.
0: Okay, perfect. Let's do that. So back to our episode. I missed you. You weren't with me, but I'm glad that you got to do that for your friends and to stand by them. And we had a really good time chatting with Aisha Denez, who is like this amazing, amazing person.
1: I am beside myself with like the talent that this woman exhibits, plays classical piano, but kind of mashes it up with like this new age, funky, hybridized version of piano play. She's making piano playing cool again, like classical piano. She's making it cool again.
0: Yeah. She's like the kind of gal who's, she's a piano prodigy she was winning competitions by five years old she was saying but she like loves contemporary music and she grew up of the youtube generation so like for instance during the entire episode she had like a awesome sub pop thing on her wall because she loves sub pop and she was just in seattle and was like touring that record label and all that which we of course then talked about uh, john benjamin again and that jazz oh, legends God, yes. because he's on sub pop you have to listen it's towards the end of the episode watching her listen to that she literally like died a thousand deaths and was like, that's my worst nightmare that I have about me, like not being able to play. And that's what it sounds like.
1: <laughs> it's like an actor's nightmare. You walk out on stage, you don't know the lines, you don't know the lyrics. You're like, I fucking have no idea what I'm doing. Yes, but I'm, just I'm in my underwear. Out here. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the fucking worst. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I had a moment like that on stage the other night. I walked out and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what these words are. Oh, and I they hate just came that. out. That's good. I, and they just came out. I was like, well, just trust the process and they'll be yeah. in there somewhere.
0: Yeah, so Aisha's super rad. We're both members of an organization called Summit, which is this really cool international organization for like extraordinary entrepreneurs and artists and all that stuff. And someone in LA that's in Summit with us was like, meet me at this rooftop. This gal is in town. She's from Turkey originally. And I think you guys will like each other. So we spent a really awesome evening on a roof in LA chatting. And she is like so talented. I immediately was like, Emily, let's get her on the podcast now. Wait, you know what, Andrew? What? (laughs) So, cut back to the cold open for a second. And you know what, Andrew? What? Oh, my God. He's not even fucking paying attention. We're, like, trying to record an intro, and he's texting someone and not listening. I am not...
1: Not not texting. (laughs) You know I can't lie to you. I can't lie to you. Okay, I was texting. I'm sorry I had to deal with this thing. It's uh, not important. What were you saying?
0: And you know what, Andrew? (laughs) That's what? for all of you who are listening to the cold open. <laughs> Pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> no one has ever asked I should have be on a podcast before. We were her very first podcast ever.
1: She popped her fucking podcast cherry on us.
0: <laughs> gross. <laughs> yeah.
1: You just talked about chili dogging for like five <laughs> minutes and you never said gross. God, I am the shit clown.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, but seriously, I was like, how can that... Boom. How can that possibly be? She's like super famous. She's got this huge yeah. following on YouTube. She's a prodigy in piano. They dropped a fucking grand piano into Burning Man into in Burning August. Into Burning Man. To perform on. And no one has ever had her on a podcast. It was crazy. She was amazing. She was a delight.
1: Did she talk about the process a little bit? Did they ask her if she wanted to be airdropped in with the piano <laughs> on like an attached bench scenario with her own private parachute? Playing the piano as she entered Burning Man.
0: She didn't mention, so I would suggest that you uh, Insta her with a video ask and ask her that question.
1: Cut to the end of this episode (laughs) when we ask you to leave a video question. You see what I did there? I manipulate situations. I know what's happening here. I just act the fool. I act the shit clown.
0: So, I hope that you guys enjoy this episode with Aisha Tanez.
1: And you know what? If you want to be a guest on TM2C, head over to Twitter and follow us. Tweet, 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 tweet at TM2C Podcast to leave us a video ask question for your upcoming guest, of which I just told you how to do it. I'm going to do it myself. So, get the fuck over there and make that shit happen.
0: Y'all, we hope you enjoy this episode of Take Me to Coffee with Aisha Tanez. met once and it was like very fast was like an hour on a beautiful rooftop in Los Angeles and now I've just been following you online and watching all the amazing stuff you do and so I wanted to start just in case people don't know who you are that are listening would you just tell us a little bit about like your background like mm-hmm. what your story is yeah sure so I'm
3: a classically trained pianist and when I say classical it's very classical like very disciplined so I was like touring when I was 10 oh, uh, wow. playing with like orchestras and basically I was out of touch with the modern world in terms of piano but uh, all around you know I was listening to pop rock jazz opera uh, musicals so I had a sort of communication gap especially between People my age. I actually grew up in Turkey until I was 17, and then I mm-hmm. left uh, for college. So I went to Eastman School of Music in upstate New York, cool. and then I went to London to Royal Academy of Music for my masters. And during those years, I decided that I should do something to connect these audiences so that everybody can listen to all genres and uh, have exposure to classical music, and also uh, classical concerts don't necessarily have to be so formal mm-hmm. and uh, They can also have like an element of pop music concerts where, you know, it's interactive. The audience has a say and it's fun basically on stage. So I wanted to bridge that. And that's been my goal ever since I was a kid, because it was very hard to see that my friends didn't want to come to classical concerts and they didn't even know what it was. Uh And I just didn't know what to talk to them about because I couldn't relate or they couldn't relate to me. And so I was hanging out with the parents and the grandparents a lot. same girl, same. (laughs) And now I'm, I'm like more younger than my classmates. I'm like Uh working with DJs and
0: (laughs) it's reversed now. Oh my God. I have so many questions. Okay. So scooting back to the beginning, you started touring at 10. So how old were you when you started playing piano? And like, was that just your parents getting you into lessons or? Okay,
3: so it was definitely the, the parents had a huge impact, especially my mom. So they both come from like very modest backgrounds. In Turkey, basically, being a musician was not considered as a career at that point. I mean, it, it could, but it just meant that you wouldn't earn money, basically. So when my mom was a kid, she really wanted to go to a conservatory. And even though she passed the exams. Her parents were like, you know what, you should probably be a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer, just like, you know, the typical speech, so that you can earn money. You know, she became a doctor, but she Mm. loved music and especially classical because they would go to symphony concerts a lot when Mm -hmm. she was growing up. So when she was pregnant to me, she has a story. It's like she loves telling it. Um, So (laughs) apparently, she went to see uh, Amadeus at the cinema and uh, she was seven months pregnant to me. Apparently, I was a very, very like silent kid, like silent.
0: Fetus, I
1: guess, I mean, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Uh, Hashtag silent fetus. (laughs)
3: Apparently in the in the first half when there was music I started like jumping in her belly that oh she thought she was going to give early birth so she was about to go to the hospital and so in the intermission I was back to silent again and then she was like wait that's weird like why is she moving when there's music and so she was like okay I know she's going to be a musician so that Whoa. was sort of this thing <laughs> so when I was actually a, a baby we had an upright piano at home
0: mm-hmm. and
3: I just loved spending time on it and I also probably loved the encouragement encouragement too, like of, of people around me who were willing to listen to me playing all mm. like random notes on it and <laughs> mm-hmm. I kept going to try to take lessons they would re- refuse me saying my hands are too small
0: assholes oh no
3: <laughs> <laughs> well I was four um so right. just so, <laughs> so, it is, so I kept going back and back and then they were like okay fine now you're five and a half and you can start official lessons <laughs> so oh <boy. laughs> uh I did start and I think in in six months I won like a competition but that was like a turn point for me yeah. because that was the first time it was like a public performance because I won the prize also the gift included as a reward a huge 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 box of candy and chocolate and then they knew their audience <laughs> it also included a life insurance and a bicycle life so insurance. i was super happy That's it's like a health health insurance
0: for a five and a half year or ten year old yeah That's i
3: was so six weird. at that point and and six. i i loved what? the candies for sure i and i told my parents i'm gonna be a pianist because this is amazing we
0: were rich <laughs> I would be really concerned if you at six were like, parents, I'm going to be a pianist because I just got free health insurance, which like, I feel like now I would have been like, yep, exactly. I'm doing this for my living. They gave me health insurance. Right here. definitely. exactly. (laughs) They should think about this. I can't, I can't, I just have to spend another second on this because my brain can't get around it. Why did they give you health insurance as a prize? Um, It's like private health insurance. I don't know. And
3: I had my tonsils removed with that too. It's just... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's so weird they must have just been a sponsor yeah
3: i think so so
0: you know the rotary club yeah yeah so
3: it was organized by them in in turkey ah. and it was like a national competition so everybody with different instruments and different skills even even competed i was six and i won that in my age group yeah. and yeah so that was that and then after that i actually started performing and the next turning point was uh when i was nine when i played with the orchestra Bach keyboard concerto number no. five After that, they started offering me concerts that sort of rolled on quickly. And I think it was tricky because I kept doing concerts, but I also needed to work on repertoire, which was very, very important, you know? Like as a technician? Yeah, yeah. Because you can't just give concerts all the time. As a kid, you have to also make sure you're not developing bad habits, you mm-hmm. know, um, your your technique, your articulation, your just your finger development and muscle development. So when I was like a teenager, basically we sort of stopped the media from like uh, coming. <laughs> like they, they wanted oh, to do articles as... To say, oh, child, you know, prodigy or whatever, which was dangerous, I think. Uh, That's what my parents thought. And they were like, you're just a normal kid. This is crazy. Why are they even trying to label you? Because they would use really exaggerated words just for media attention. And my parents were like, we're going to refuse these.
0: Good on your parents. So I actually have, we'll go to our first question, I think, from one of our, uh, actually, this is from one of our former guests who left this question for you, because I think it kind of fits in nice and like trying to figure out this narrative of your life and your career. Okay, so hi, I'm Audrey Treschke, and you know I'm fascinated to learn about this classical piano thing. I took piano lessons myself for 12 years as a child, uh, and I was never all that good at it, and my fingers are like kind of short. But anyways, I loved it, uh, and I still love listening to classical piano music, and I've always thought of it as so... I don't know, so highbrow or something, right? Like you have to like go to the orchestra and like pay all this money for tickets. And like, I've just been told that you're doing these like Instagram mashup videos. And like, that sounds so awesome. Where did you get this idea? That is such a cool idea. And what do you see as the future of of what you're doing here?
3: Well, the idea came because of YouTube, actually, especially for mashups. So I was watching a lot of covers and none of them were done by professional musicians, which, you know, was shocking to me. I was like, why isn't anyone who's actually studying music doing this? I really appreciated these people online, but also I just thought that there could be another level to it Mm. and that it should be done because, first of all, it's a new era where you use the digital age to reach thousands of more people than you could in real life. And also it's permanent, so it'll stay there and it's Mm. really cool to watch. And it's also very personal because it reflects what type of music you listen to in your daily life when you're not practicing. So Mm. I said, okay, well, I should probably do something creative And the first time that I actually attempted was with Piazzolla because I really loved the tangos and Mm -hmm. I had played them in two pianos in college and I wanted to record a different version of it. And I uh, basically saw a concert at Royal Academy of Music where there was some electronic music in the back. And I reached out to the guy who made it, Mm -hmm. uh, made the electronic part. And I was like, do you want to collaborate? Let's do an EP. So we came out with this sort of pop version of Piazzolla, which was for piano and a string quartet. It's very, very like dancey and it's my first attempt. uh, And Ha <laughs> So uh, during those years, I was really, really curious at different genres. I was like, OK, what else can I try? i um, still reading a lot of Franz Liszt's biography because it was mm. his 200th anniversary. And I saw a lot of my friends doing super, super formal concerts. But I was like, Franz Liszt is not a formal guy at all. He's like this superstar, right. this rock star. And it has to be done the right way.
0: You know, <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to bring the rock. This is the Hamilton moment of <laughs> classical piano, right? <laughs> yeah. Like when Lin-Manuel read the biography and he's like, no, this dude is a rock star. You had your own manuel Hamilton moment. I love it.
3: Yes, exactly. And And I said, I'm going to write a rock fantasy for him. Yes. (laughs) And then I'm going to use his style, like the way that he would do this, because it's not new. First of all, like transcriptions are not new in classical music. You know, 300 years ago, that's what all the composers were doing. They would improvise on music that the public knew about, and they also would you know do these really elaborate transcriptions based on folk songs or, or popular songs in their era. so it's nothing new, but somehow I think we have made classical music very, very different over the years, yeah. and it's more yeah. of a museum thing now, like yeah. very you, you shall not touch so uh, <laughs> so I broke those rules and totally created a fantasy for piano based on Pink Floyd themes, but in the style of France Liszt yeah. <laughs> it was like the most random thing I've ever so done. Awesome. And I thought no one's going to listen to it. And my friends were like, why are you even doing that? That's so weird. But then when it was time for me to actually perform it in my lesson to my teacher, pro- to my professor, he had such an open mind mm. that really inspired me. When I entered, I thought he was going to kick me out, which didn't happen. He listened to me a little bit. He was like, you know, just stop playing. And I was like, oh, my God, he's, you, know, <laughs> you know, this is the end of, of my master's. I'm going to fail. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like. Where's the guitar part? Let me play it. And then he pushed me and then he was like he started playing. So it was really, really, really nice. And he liked that idea and so he encouraged me and I put three of these arrangements on SoundCloud. Yes. You know, nothing happened for a long time. I graduated and I was, you know, teaching at a school in London and then doing some performances, but it wasn't great to be honest. I was thinking, okay, what's next? Like what am mm-hmm. I even going to do? Actually, although I love teaching, it's it wasn't a career goal for me. Mm-hmm. I loved performing, being on stage and also doing creative projects. And so one day, just before a concert in Turkey, I was in the green room and my phone wouldn't stop. It, it mm-hmm. kept lighting up and lighting up so many times and get I was getting notifications and they were saying like congratulations I'm like why (laughs) like what happened (laughs) and I was just I just didn't understand what was happening and it turns out that somehow the, the SoundCloud links were discovered by the official page of Pink Floyd which had like 23 million followers on their Facebook, and they had linked to it saying, this is very interesting. A classical pianist has used Pink Floyd songs. She created something very different than the rest of the covers. Oh, my God. I like basically cried tears of happiness. Because, I mean, it's as if like France list, you know, retweeted you or something. It's like, it's that feeling, you know? Yeah. So suddenly I had thousands of people writing to me from like Mexico, from from Brazil, from like a lot of different countries, Bulgaria, Italy, Portugal. They were like, we want more. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and they wanted a, a new album. And that was like the creation of my first fan base, actually. Like before that, I just had no idea how this works. You know, how am I going to get people to listen to what I do? Who will even care? And this brought a new chapter to my life. I actually got offered like so many concerts around the world. Yeah. Um. Once I released. So I, I, I did the social media inter- interactive project with the album. I asked everybody to pick songs that i should play on the yeah. piano of, of pink floyd so they selected them we voted on them and cool. that's how the album came about and then i toured it uh and i performed it in argentina for the first time i premiered it and then i toured it in ecuador bulgaria italy portugal so cool. like a lot of places yeah. uh, that just snowballed right from there
0: This one of the things that i really enjoy about doing this podcast is is that opportunity to kind of deconstruct how people became who they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think particularly with those of us and people we've had on the podcast that are internet based, all we see as people who are following you, right, is just right. this massive career and this like huge, like the number of followers or subscribers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the two things that I think are particularly interesting are one, being able to track the story and what our friend who is also on the podcast, Laura Binky calls being in the middle, the like shitty part of making your career, the middle part, like where you're teaching in London and not a lot's happening and the, you don't love the performances yes. and whatever, right? That yeah, no one ever yeah, wants yeah. to talk about. And yeah. secondly, the the opportunity to learn that no one I have ever talked to is like, I'm going to be a YouTube star doing mashups <sighs> of piano. You just followed what you cared about and what you believed in step by step right like and that led you to where you are
3: yeah definitely I mean in fact a lot of projects you know that I thought interest people didn't really Hmm. I'm not an audience I don't consume so I don't know how how people feel usually so it's really wrong for me to ever think about oh what would they like because it just doesn't work like that right so I have to do something I like that I enjoy and then I can create it in a nice way too that hopefully other people will enjoy so it was never an aim for me to please other people. It was more about, you know, having fun and and doing
0: what I love. I'm sure when you were learning classical piano at like five or whatever, (laughs) like YouTube, did it exist? Not at all. That's another (laughs) crazy fucking thing. All these people who are in a career that they actually literally could not have dreamed of because it didn't fucking exist when they started their work. That's nuts. You know, as someone who's in the theater, it's existed forever. I've always known yeah, that I wanted to work right. in the theater. What is that like? What's it like to have not known?
3: It's crazy. <laughs> the tricky part is not even them entering existence, but it's more of the, the platforms changing all the time. You're yeah. like handling at least three or four platforms right. and one might go bankrupt or the other one might be bought by another company that maybe, you know, stops it. So like, for example, Periscope was active right. and then Twitter sort of killed it, bought, yeah. bought it and killed it. And so it's interesting to see like what brings people together and then how fast can you transition from that to another platform and how many fans can you keep from there? Keep, right. So I I have Instagram and Facebook that are um, popular and I occasionally use Twitter, but uh, usually it's these two platforms and YouTube too. You know, I, I feel like those are going to stay. But there's a lot of things I don't use, like Snapchat or right. Twitch or TikTok. TikTok. Right. So those ones are for the next generation. I feel like I can't relate yeah. oh, to those. Oh, that's interesting. And Snapchat I used to do, but it's just, there's so much work. You have to also... Yeah
0: practice and and produce you know it's like I just don't have time for all of those and for a particular format right it's great to be able Mm -hmm. to diversify which I think is what this is right it's some weird version of diversifying Mm -hmm. but each platform has their own mode of storytelling that you have to create form and function for yes own format it's
3: it's crazy actually since I moved to LA I hear I mean these people are the ones who create content it's full of YouTube stars here this is like how they built their careers. So when I ask them, they're like all in touch with each other, like giving the, each other tips. Right. They're like following what the new algorithm promotes and how can you like uh, hack it and blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. very, very interesting. And it's a new world. Yeah. It's something that... I think it should be taught in music schools for sure. I think theater programs too. Right.
0: Right. I believe two things, which I suspect you are also on this train. It is a way to make live performance relevant in a digital world. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to make it more valuable and drive people to it. There's also obstacles with it too, because sometimes you're on
3: the same platform and you're treated as if your career is the same importance level of, for example, a person who eats forty kilograms of spaghetti. So like how can, <laughs> right, how can unboxing you beat that? Like, like yeah, how totally. also like it's a popularity contest, which, you know, on one hand, yes, it was always like this in the music world, but not as much. I mean, this is extreme. Right. So as a performer, obviously you perform on on stage and that's like the main Mm -hmm. career, uh, but you also have to have those numbers up and still have those fans so that you can reach out to them when you're not performing and communicate and invite them to your concerts and, you know, let them know what's happening in your life.
0: I think that's that's so interesting. I wonder if the answer to that is somewhere like the way that podcasts have been able to demonstrate their value and to like create their own separate system of monetization, which is right that because they're attracting such a niche audience, their conversions for advertisers are huge. As my mm-hmm. friend puts it, you can watch a Amex Ellie Goulding live-streamed mm-hmm. concert and 5 million people will watch it. Mm-hmm. But Amex actually converting on their advertising as a sponsor of that, it's like throwing shit at the wall. We'll see what sticks. But right. whatever the number is, you know, a million people are listening to you or watching mm-hmm. you. They're mm-hmm. so engaged with you and it's so personal by nature because it's right, smaller. Right. You I have agree. more value,
3: right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's more about uh, engagement and more about loyalty. So hopefully that will develop more. I I try to do this new thing where in my last tour, I have incorporated my Instagram accounts uh with my live performances so i would like ask people yes! to vote, and so i i definitely you know interact with them uh, you know over instagram so i say like okay which video did you like which mashup should i play now and then they scream like oh the phantom of the opera or like they they have been following and it's really interesting i love it when it's a real
0: performance
3: where i can ask people and they will know already what i've been doing oh my god that's
0: so awesome I have been trying to get this done in the theater for like five years now. I love technology and I don't think it's right for all theater, as I'm sure it's not right for all classical music performance. But when you can build something that's like an ecosystem in which the piece of theater supports the use of Mm -hmm. technology and vice versa... I think there's a real reason to do it, which is exactly the story you told. And fuck, people are so resistant about that, And it makes me want to shake them.
3: (laughs) Yes. Or either they're like very resistant or they want to do it for exposure or like for wrong reasons. And it just is not so cool.
0: Well, let's go 360 from Los Angeles and digital media and go to our next question from one of your fans that I think is a really good one. Hi, it's Monu Kumar from India. And I'm also learning piano. My question is, what should we do to promote instrumental music in rural area? Thank you.
3: Wow, it's a great question. Right. Um, Okay, so rural areas, I'm assuming, which is probably true, is that they don't have the resources like cities, like instruments or museums or even great transport or or skilled teachers. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing I was going to say is to basically, if there are schools, then You know, that would be more of a high end decision making process where the government can provide music teachers Mm -hmm. to schools. Mm -hmm. But that is very idealistic, I would say, uh, in today's age. And unfortunately, music is not really regarded as very, very important compared to other topics. So we would need to think about something more entrepreneurial, basically. Mm -mm. If you have Internet, that would be one way, for example, if there is no teacher, you could Take lessons on YouTube. There is a lot of free oh, yeah. apps too, and you can sign up for those and try to learn. There is a lot of teachers, for example, on Instagram that they do Skype lessons, and that's one oh. idea. I follow some of them, and in their profile there is a link to their Skype names. But also, this has to do with money too. Yeah. So that's another question mark. First of all, is there any resources to even have the instrument? And if there is no instrument, maybe it could be vocal. So maybe mm-hmm. it could be a choir. And it could be singing lessons, you know, with resources online. Like it's easier with voice, I think, to reach rural areas. Right. Um, with instrumental, assuming they do have their instruments, you can try to create your own groups of musicians. And even if there's no teacher, if someone is more skilled, then they can lead. I think it's important to create these groups of also amateur musicians. You don't necessarily have to play it so well. And, you know, it can be social gatherings. And I think it adds so much to any gathering, to be honest, to have live music there. Uh, For the instruments, I think it's important to raise money to buy them. You could do a Kickstarter project. Yeah, like a community piano or something. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there is ways to do it. It's just you have to be entrepreneurial and figure out all those ways. This sounds like a
0: foundation that you should start. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I would love to. I mean, I do get messages saying, hey, we really love piano, but we don't have a piano in our school yeah. and we don't know how to learn it. And and I, I really want to help. What can you do? Go to internet, You know, open a Kickstarter page, yeah. hopefully to find people who are genuinely interested in helping out. Um, It's much easier that way. Um, Maybe even we can partner up with certain teachers and they could do like a monthly masterclass, for example, Mm -hmm. where you can do community concerts. And you have an advice playlist, right,
0: for young performers?
3: Um, I have more um, technical exercises on Instagram uh, for musicians. And then I have advice on my website. It's like mm. a blog where um, I write about like uh, tips for musicians, basically. You know, it's not generally like how to raise money for a project, but it's more about a specific type of music or a challenge or how to memorize, for example, or does perfect pitch matter? Those questions that they asked me, uh, things like that. But this is a good question. Maybe I should also write an entry of on it.
0: When kids ask you questions, aspiring pianists. Is there a large topic or like a, a question that, that you wish they would ask more, like that we right. wish was more talked about?
3: All they ask is how much money do I make? <laughs> really? Yeah, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. Well, it's because they're worried about survival, right? If they become of musicians. Course, yes. So I fix that question to them and I say, well, the amount of money, first of all, doesn't matter, but I make enough to, to make a living. But also you have to decide what your needs are and basically mm-hmm. what are your responsibilities in life. Uh, study something that you know that will benefit you more in terms of financial reward in a shorter time so like maybe you don't need to become a musician but you can still make music so like they asked me for example should they enter the conservatory or should they become a doctor I I've done double degrees so I've never left out academics in my life um, yeah. and that works for music too like you can't just be a one-sided artist yeah I studied political science and film and media studies in college mm. music was always a priority but for for young kids I think um, they They usually ask me like how much do you practice that's another popular question Mm. and how do you memorize those are like the most popular questions Mm. how much do you practice is also a question I fix I tell them look it's not about how much you practice but how do you practice I don't count the hours every day who does that I just practice until it gets good there's no benchmark and sometimes it's the entire day and sometimes it's an hour sometimes I don't even practice (laughs) it depends on the context so that's that's a cool question I think and and how do you memorize it? You know, you have to learn how to create patterns. And then with those patterns, you try to memorize it also with the help of your muscle memory and with the help of your um, creativity. Maybe you sing the notes for you repeat too, and you analyze it maybe theoretically and harmonically. And um, that's that's how you memorize music. But um, if there was one other question that they don't ask that I would want them to ask, I guess maybe this is the deep one, but like, what have you sacrificed? Uh, to get here I think that would be a question yes because people should definitely know that this is not an easy career even if it looks easy I think there's a lot of stories that artists don't necessarily show on stage Uh, there's a struggle there's fights it's it's very very difficult uh, especially to sustain Uh, I don't want to say development in that aspect but in terms of career development where like you might have highlights earlier on in life for example Mm -hmm. but then you might have have, like an inconsistent, uh, which is right. very, very
0: much. We don't do this. Right? Yeah, we don't. We don't go right, exactly. up on like a nice 45 degree diagonal. Our careers go, wee! Yeah. Like a roller coaster. <laughs> like a roller
3: coaster. Absolutely. <laughs> Not at all. And I think that's the hardest thing to handle. It's a lot of things to think about and you sacrifice a lot for that. That would be a question I, th- I would like to be asked.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. It's because that's been on my mind this week. There was also another article I'll send it to an in Inc. magazine, I think this week about the cost of entrepreneurialism. And I am forever talking about this on this podcast that the link between being an artist and an entrepreneur is like indelible. We do the exact same thing. And this article, I like really needed to actually read it because it was like, we don't talk about what you sacrifice to start a business. Or be an artist in this case, right? Every founder interviewed for this article, almost in financial ruin, way overcommitted their own capital. Like family issues, working 80, 90 hours, unpredictable schedules, which I think is the same. You know what I mean? And I yeah. agree. I just think that that is something that people don't talk about enough, and I wish they would because I think it would maybe help you sort yourself earlier. You know, and go like, yes, I'm mm-hmm. up for this, or no, I'm going right. to find another exactly. way to do what I love. Absolutely, yes.
3: And I think that should be taught in schools before people even study uh, that mm. for a profession, like in ah. colleges, for example. There was it was funny. Facebook uh, launched when I was. Uh, it was my first freshman year basically Mm -hmm. in college uh when it opened to, uh, to all the universities and uh there was this group that that they created saying I'm going to be I know I'm going to be living in a shoebox when I graduate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, and then it had thousands of people but oh I thought that was interesting because you know you go with the hopes of being a superstar and like it's not the case and also the outside world doesn't see it either because they only see you on stage applauded yeah. and they're like wow what an amazing great life. No.
0: <laughs> and wouldn't it I mean in some weird way if we talked about it more and there was a more back to that word Deliberate decision making process and whether you want to pursue something like the arts, it would lead to less people feeling like they were failures because they didn't make it or they couldn't hack it. Right.
3: Also, that exactly because it doesn't matter how good you are, there's amazing talents I've seen. That doesn't necessarily mean. They will succeed, unfortunately, because they might not be doing enough for promotion or they might not be in the right city. They might not have the right exposure. Maybe they don't have the right social environment uh, that encourages them, you know, or gives them opportunities for performing. There's so many things.
0: Yeah. So I know we don't have a lot of time left, and I want to make sure that we talk about Sub Pop, which I see on the wall behind you. Why? Tell me first, why is that on the wall? <laughs> because
3: I was in Seattle two weeks ago, and I read a lot about Sub Pop and how it, yeah. like, it revolutionized the music industry there. And I was like, I'm going to get this. <laughs> Basically, yes. it's actually not supposed to be on the, on the wall. It's actually like a coaster. Oh, really? I have this one too. Oh. You know what? I use so these... Cool. Uh, during my performances to mute the piano <laughs> strings. That's amazing. Like the chorus, like I i usually create different effects, like sound effects when I do rock music. And I thought they're cool.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I like, <laughs> like Sub Pop is crazy because like, of course, like Soundgarden, I think, right, was a part of Sub yeah, Pop. So it's like really exactly. important part of the 90s. But now like Beach House is on Sub Pop. Preservation Music Hall, you know, the New Orleans band. Like they are such an important label.
3: Weren't they bought by another label? I think they really? are. I don't know. Yeah,
0: I think they have. Oh, mm-hmm. want, want. That's okay. Uh, it's fine. They're but still it's doing fine. really good music. And <laughs> the reason I was thinking about Sub Pop, oh my God, I hope that you've heard this. And if you have not, you, you get a third link from me after this podcast today. They also are the uh, label for John Benjamin, who is the voice of Archer. Have you ever heard Archer before? I haven't heard of Archer. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like really... Off-color, amazing animated series that was on FX or something like that, about like a international spy named Archer, who's like a misogynist, and John Benjamin is his voice. He's a voice okay. actor. He's oh, also an actor actor. Yeah. Okay. But he did this album called Jazz Daredevil. Okay. It's in next week's episode of the podcast. He got all of the most amazing LA jazz studio musicians really? to go into yeah. the studio but he can't play piano. It's an entire album of him, like, clunking on the keys in the midst of these incredible jazz
1: musicians. It
0: is so awful and also hilarious at the same time so you have not heard this album not at all oh please send me this i'm so curious is there also a video of it oh i don't know <laughs> emily you were looking that up did you see video
2: there were like clips on youtube or like it was the album cover but i can play you a little preview if you
0: like. Oh, please do
3: This is like a, a nightmare I would see in my dreams. Like yes, it's yes. like nightmare
0: scenario where I go on stage and I don't know what the notes are. And, and then my fingers
3: don't move or
0: this is amazing. I have a last wish, even though I'm going to continue living. My last wish is that you need to tweet John Benjamin and you guys need to meet each other. And I need you to appear on stage together. That'd be amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> I'll do it for you. I don't even fucking care. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Uh, it's one of my favorite things please email me that because I'm (laughs) I'm that's gonna
3: be my soundtrack of daily life
0: (laughs) you're like don't forget you gotta practice because yes if you don't (laughs) (laughs) we have one last question that's serious that's about like different musical styles so uh let's let's get that last question
2: hi Aisha this is Saurabh from India wanted to know if you have listened to indian music or seen bollywood movies if any uh, which are your favorites thank you
3: Wow. Okay. He caught me from a field that I'm not really, really familiar with. I mean, mm-hmm. I have seen some Bollywood movies, but but I have Googled and I've seen like excerpts of those dances they, they do in oh, Bollywood movies. So cool. I love it. It's amazing. And uh, in terms of music, I have seen and heard tabla players and I have worked uh, with them a few times. What's a tabla? Tabla is like a percussion instrument where it has so many different rhythms that are super sophisticated. The compound rhythms, yeah. Uh, I have even recorded, but I haven't released this track with one uh, tabla player. And the music is very, very inspiring there. And they have, you know, these microtones and a different set of, you know, harmonic structure and rhythms. It's just mind blowing. I I have to go. It's it's been in my mind. Uh, Mm. India is one of the places that I haven't performed in, and I do have some followers from there. So one day, hopefully I'll go and actually witness all of that and even maybe learn. But I think it is similar to Turkish music where, you know, we also have microtones and sophisticated rhythms, but it's, it's another level, I think. Um, so I do feel like I can somehow relate to it mm.
0: more so uh, when I think of Turkish music rather than classical Western music. If someone wanted to like, <laughs> someone being me, <laughs> wanted to like start digging into Turkish music, like where would be a good place to start?
3: Yeah, <laughs> I I would say that we have so many different regions, first of all, and yeah. each region has its own like folkloric costumes, their mm-hmm. dances and their music. So um, I, I love uh, Kemanche, which is sort of like fiddle, and um, the rhythms are very, very sophisticated. Usually like more like 7 9-8. Eight, 9-8? Eight. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> and more. And then there's also the more harmonic things you could look into are the Makams, sort of like modes. It's called M-A-Q-A-M. Macams. that comes I think from the Ottoman era actually hmm. and so they improvise on those scales like those modes Yeah, and they're not western modes. I think that would be really interesting for you to compare to, uh, cool. to the western scales I would say and, and modes and uh, yeah for, for Turkish music though, definitely look regionally like my favorite is the Black Sea region. So if you google like Black Sea region Turkish music uh, you will hear it's really active and their dances, the guys show off. <laughs> <laughs> they go really low and they're dancing.
0: Cool. Okay, so you haven't been to India, but we're gonna make this happen. You do have a USA tour coming up? Yes, true? I do. Yes first I have uh, a performance
3: in LA uh, it's at the, the summit uh, series So shout out uh, to summit the- <laughs>
0: series
3: yes it's going to be a very interesting project I'm still looking forward to hearing more details but there's some like installation with plants and frequencies and they turn into and music and uh, and we're bringing a piano um, Kawhi is really amazingly sponsoring usually all my North America projects and very often my European tours after that I have a, a tour in Turkey so I start with Istanbul and uh, I have 10 more cities that I will go to that will be announced. Turks are very last minute. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, so I'll be back in the US from March till uh, the summer and we're basically just confirming with the venues. Uh, So it'll be a West Coast tour, LA, uh,
0: San Francisco, Seattle, potentially Portland. So if someone wants to follow you because this episode was amazing and they're gonna be like, I'm super obsessed with you. How can they find you on the internet so they can get these dates when they come out? (laughs)
3: Yes. So the best is actually to Sign up to my mailing list on my website adpianist.com because there they can enter their city. The way we work on these tours is like however many people sign up from a city, the more chances that I will perform there. So I think instead of, okay, they should also follow like on Instagram and YouTube, Spotify, you know, iTunes. But most important is this email list on my website. It helps me sort out where people are
0: listening from, Yeah, you know, totally. Amazing. Oh my God. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. This was, Oh, this is amazing. (sighs) Wonderful. Wonderful conversation. Thank you
3: so much for your great questions and great, you know, leading. And also, like, I'm really looking
0: forward to those links. (laughs) Yeah, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. (laughs) That's another great thing about this podcast. Like, we're all nerds on it. So, like, always trading, like, links and talking to each other on social media. It's great. (laughs) Absolutely.
3: Yes. This is is my first experience on a podcast and I love it. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Thank you. I missed Andrew in this episode, but I'm glad you're here with me, Emily. Of
2: course, I'm here. Do you like when we pull you into these episodes? Actually, I've never really asked. Um, it's fine. It's hard to edit the episodes and listen to my own voice, but I think most people have that issue. Oh,
1: really?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. Well, at any rate, I want to ask you, what did you think about this episode because I knew I should before and you didn't.
2: Right. Well, I had never met her just over emails, and since first hearing about her, I've saw her videos on YouTube, and they're so cute and so cool. Like she has her own pop star thing going on. And so to be able to just have a conversation with with her and just to listen to her talk about you know, struggles, music tastes, like random questions and her mother. Oh my it's God. just like such a nice yeah. breakdown of even what is online and digital and is so close to you. You know, you can really relate to people. It's an even more of a breakdown to just hear her in conversation. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and I found myself wondering too about everyone listening, like the people who are listening to the podcast who are, you know, have something that they're really good at and what it's like to be an artist in this digital age and if other people listening just could see themselves in Aisha or maybe I wonder if people were inspired to start thinking about the ways in which they can take what they're good at doing and reach out using digital media to find that sort of like positive side of it, right? Right, absolutely.
2: Like she said, it just opens up a lot of doors. I mean, there's always the good and the bad, but her talking about like the first days of Facebook and these pages and these groups all the way to like what Mm -hmm. she's doing now with YouTube and what she's doing with her email list and getting people to, you know, request her to come to their cities. Like it's a real life, a tangible thing that that you use the online for.
0: Yeah, and I think if you're listening and you feel like it, I would love to hear stories from people of like the coolest slash most unexpected ways you've been able to use social media or digital media to reach people with the thing that you're great at. Tweet us. Yeah. (laughs) And speaking of tweeting us, don't forget to follow Aisha. She's everywhere at A- D pianist. That's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, little Twitter. She looked like she didn't really like Twitter when she was talking about that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> YouTube is where all of her like performances are. Instagram, she does a lot of training and tools and like practice uh, stuff for pianists, which is so cool. And then you can head to her website to join her mailing list and request that she comes to your city, especially those of you from India who sent in your questions. Let's get Aisha over to India. I'll put the website in the show notes and don't forget to head to Twitter and follow us as well at TM2C podcast. You can ask questions for upcoming guests and also guys, tell us who you follow. Who do you think is cool? Who are you hanging out with on social media? Who should we be interviewing on this podcast? who do you want to ask a question of let us know tweet us and uh, we'll get them on the show for you that's it for this episode of take me to coffee without my intrepid co-host andrew call but he'll be back next week so in the meantime it's your guys's turn you know the drill one check out new episodes every thursday on your favorite podcasting platform including apple podcasts spotify google podcasts the list goes on and on two for special bonus content, including being able to see Aisha's sub-pop coaster hanging on a wall that she sometimes uses to dampen piano strings on her grand piano, you can go over to uh, Patreon and join our coffee club. That's www.patreon.com slash TM2C podcast. Your contribution helps us continue to make this podcast for you and with you. Three, download these episodes and leave us a review. Thanks as ever for being with us. I'm Jess, and we'll see you next week.
1: To walk like two out the door Then you have magic